At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, everyone. Yas here, and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask, and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends, and don't forget to get in touch, guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter, at thecoachesnet. Once again, that's at thecoachesnet. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest with me today. My guest today is Peter Gill. How are you doing, Pete? I'm very good, thank you. Thanks for having me on, Yas. How are things with you, mate? Very well, and I'm really looking forward to this one. Um, Pete, just before we get right into the thick of the conversation, maybe just give a brief insight around who you are, what you do, and we'll go from there. Yes, yeah, so uh, I currently work for uh, Cambridge United. Um, I, well, it's quite of a, it's a different model to, to most clubs. So my job is to oversee the development of the the young professionals that sit just outside the first team. Um, easy way of saying that is sort of under-21s coach, but we run a uh, hybrid model. So as part of my role, I um, I manage a non-league team where we try and give players their first experience of senior football as well as recruit external players into that team. So it's a, it's a job that's um, really exciting. Lots of, every day is different, lots of different challenges. So, yeah, I cover a lot of so this. Easy to say 21's coach, but there's a little bit more to it than that. I'm sure we'll be able to unpack some of that stuff as we go through it. Um, but, you know, let, let's, let's, start, let's start with you, your journey. Where, you know, where, where did that start? How did you, you get into coaching? And, you know, when did, when did it become a real passion and, I guess, a career for you? Yeah, I mean, well, like most coaches that sort of haven't played professionally, uh, that was always the dream, but sort of realised from an early age that, that was never going to happen. I was I was never going to reach the level I wanted to as a player. Um, coaching for me started um, fun enough when I was at college. Um, so we we did I did a, a coaching course uh, at college, and part of the units was coaching. It started off with lecturers saying, you know, you're you're quite good at this. And then um, I, someone in my class did some 
some part-time coaching for like an after-school company, uh, company doing PPAs and sort of he invited me down, started picking up a couple of hours through them and, and that's how the journey started really. And then from there, um, joined Kerber Coaching um, down in Kent, which was a, a really good experience into the ball mastery and the real technical detail and the finer um, detail side of it, but still within the grassroots game. Um, and then from there, I, I, I randomly went to Australia. I didn't plan to go. It's just something that happened in my life randomly that I went for a two-week holiday to Bali and, and decided I wasn't going to come back, um, which is a random one and a strange one. But uh, that led to actually me coaching in Australia. Um, I was out there for a year and working for a second-tier club out there, working across their youth development program. Uh, that was a real good experience. And then sort of had the decision of do I come back or do I stay out there? Um, and I decided I was only going to come back if I gave professional football a go. Um, and then from there, that's when I um, I joined Leighton Orient. Um, had a few fantastic years there, a few challenging years there as well. Um, but sort of worked my way up um, to end up being under-18s coach at Leighton Orient. Then from there, I went to uh, Barnet to be the academy manager um, at there. Again, lots of stories and interesting times there. Um, and then from Barnet, uh, joined Cambridge United originally as head of academy coaching and then moved into my role of senior PDP lead uh, around 18 months ago. Awesome. You know, and it... I can't hear you, yes? You hear me now? Sorry, yeah, can hear that. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, awesome. A, there was a lot in there, obviously. And I want to start by, you know, right at the top of that, you mentioned obviously getting into coaching um, through college and obviously being, you know, being commenting on your ability to coach at that time um, by your lecture. But you know, I'm really, I'm really keen because there's going to be a lot of a lot of people listening to this right now. are thinking, right, I've probably just started my journey, or I might be further down the line. But really interesting, you know, you mentioned there that they said, that, all right, you're good at this. What, what what did that mean exactly? What was good about what you was doing and, and was that ever kind of clarified for you? Yeah, I think, um, funnily enough, the, 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 the time when they sort of pulled me out was when we were doing a unit on coaching badminton, which is sounds really strange. Um, we'd obviously everyone had sort of had a go at football and I think the way I had to deliver a, a lesson on badminton and never been a badminton expert by any stretch of the imagination, but the way I sort of went and researched the skill, broke it down, put on a, a, a drill that was um, related to the game, the sport, but um, really honed in on the, the technical side of it and then linked it to um, you know a match scenario. I think they were sort of quite impressed with and that's when they sort of said, look, you know, I think you've, you've potentially got something. I mean, I always wanted to be a PE teacher. So um, that's probably a little bit... Um, a little bit earlier in, in my journey, if that makes sense. So I always had it in me saying that I want to do something that involves teaching or, or coaching. And, and that always was a passion. But um, yeah, that I think they were impressed with the way I sort of managed to, to break down a sport I didn't know. And I obviously had a clear passion for football, love football, um, football nut. You know, it was football, 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 football every day of the week. It's just a shame I was no good at it, really. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's sort of where it, it happened. And then there was a level one um, coaching course on site and they said, look, I think you should go and do it. And I'll be really honest, I sort of looked at it and thought, do I want to do it? 
and they said, look, it's a week out of lectures and stuff like that. And I went, right, I'll go and do it. And as bad as it sounds, that's, that's sort of how I did my level one. Um, and then from there, managed to pick up hours and started um, coaching um, after school clubs and PPAs within schools. And, and that's when I, I realised that I loved doing it. And then that's how the journey started from me. So a little bit different to most. But yeah, funny enough, badminton was, was the thing that sort of caught the eye and sort of made people comment that, that, that maybe I should go into this. No, but no, no, I think it's a really interesting point. I think a really good one is the fact that it, it just goes to show coaching is coaching. Content, you know, the content is the content, but the, the coach is the coach and the, I guess, the approach and the methodologies behind how you work, which obviously makes you ineffective or effective in, in, your, in any other sense. So I guess on that, you know, you've mentioned, you mentioned the word a couple of times uh, around technique. Let's, let's explore that a little bit. You know, how, just how important is that piece? Because there's a lot of coaches out there now, certainly see them coming through, where I, I think that that's probably a bit of a, a bit of a gap in knowledge for a lot of coaches now. I'm not... Now, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's, it's an interesting question, an interesting uh, uh, point. And I think you, you know, technical detail is something that I still um, try to develop, try to learn, and, and there's, there's lots of complexities in it. I mean, it's easy to say, right, this is the one technique, but the, the where, the when, the how, and then it will change based upon the opposition because football by its nature is a random sport so one technique won't work all the time and then there's there's hundreds of variations of the technique within that so um yeah i do think it's important i know in coaching we have this sort of there's this big social media debate about um, unopposed practices and their, their place and i won't get into that because i know i'll upset half the coaching community and have half the coaching community on this side so i try not to upset too many people but i just think there's a time and a place for everything um and if you can nail down technique um, and then add in the game-based scenarios, if a player doesn't have the right technique, I don't see how they can execute certain skills. And that is the, the bottom line of it. So going back to the original point of um, how did I learn a badminton technique? Well, I wasn't a badminton player, but you go away, you research it, um, you try and find as much information as you can and you break it down to its smallest parts. Um, and then you deliver on that and it's important to go this this isn't the final product this is the final shot or this is the final pass it's what what are the steps on the way to to get you to that final pass and i think the more you can break it down um the better the the player the person the subject whatever you want to call them depending on the sport um, will understand and then be able to implement it in a game-based scenario where there's all the other complexities but if they haven't got the core understanding of the technique then i think you're struggling yeah, no, I fully hear you, and I, and I, and I get exactly where you're coming from, and I, and I do agree with you to an extent. I think um, one one key thing must be highlighted. There's obviously badminton as a sport; that's an individual sport, and the only interaction you're going to get with an opponent is on the other side. So it's not direct pressure on you being able to perform X technique, whichever whichever that may be. But obviously, with football now, um, as you quite rightly said, it's a it's a random game by nature. So as soon as you add all those variables in. Does the technique actually stay as the technique that you worked on, if that makes sense? Yeah, 100%. And that's where I, I sort of say there's there's a time and a place for everything. And it can't just be unopposed practice on the technique. Um, but, you know, technique can take various different forms. So if you look at uh, ball striking, now 
you instantly people will go, well, striking might mean inside of the foot and, and laces and, and different techniques. Well, actually, can we incorporate outside of the foot, big toe, little toe, little stabs? Because the reality is in, in a game-based scenario, if you're, um, if you're a centre midfielder, you've got a player um, right behind you, you get the ball and you're under pressure and then there's a player coming in from the, you know, the other side, you might just have to toe it off with your little toe. Well, you know, that's still technique. There's still practices that, that can do that. And I just think technical practices um, can incorporate lots and lots and lots to it. And sometimes it can look like the same thing, but with hundreds of thousands of variations in there. So, yeah, I do think technique can be worked on. Um, ultimately, it is the decision within the game and we have to get from the technique to that. So that's why I said there's a time and a place for everything. I'm not saying we should just coach technique, 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 because then players are never going to get decision-making, right? And like you say, because of the randomness of sport, that one technique that you might practice a thousand times might come out once in a 90-minute game. Um, but I think over time, and ultimately, if we're talking academy football, years, if they can practice as many techniques as possible, when they get to that top end and they have to perform, and it is a, a points-based um, performance level, well, actually, hopefully, they've had a go at pretty much every technique there is um, during their journey. Yeah, and I think you make a really great point there in the fact that obviously being able to access all those different potential techniques, but then I guess there'll be a lot of coaches listening to this on either side of that fence in that, right, we use a lot of unopposed practice. Personally, I'm not a massive fan of it. Um, I understand its benefits, I understand its place, my, my, you know, and obviously within an academy setting where you've got, you know, a lot more access to players than you would maybe in grassroots, um, typically anyway. I guess what you know what are your thoughts on how much technique work should be done in those environments where there's limited contact time because my view is that actually technical work if it is going to be unopposed quite often doesn't doesn't require anyone else but the individual so is that stuff that we can get them to do away from the environments so that when they come into the environment we're doing a lot more of the the opposite the opposed base working opposed doesn't have to be fully opposed with full pressure but actually providing as much context to the situations as possible. So they're aware that actually I've worked on all these techniques. Um, here's where they might come up. Cause I mean, I'm sure, you know, you can let me know your thoughts, but some, some techniques are derived because of the variables in place. Yeah. 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 I, I think every, everything is contextual though, isn't it? So um, I'm talking predominantly, uh, uh, I've worked predominantly in an academy level for the last eight years that you get access time um i wouldn't say facilities are necessarily great because that that's not true if anything grassroots clubs have better facilities quite often than, than cat free clubs from my experience but one thing we do get is access time so therefore that has a major impact i i do believe there's a time and a place for everything and i do believe again contextual it depends where the player is on their journey if they're at the very very start of their journey and they can't pass a ball or, or trap a ball or do do the basics why would you then put them into a, uh, a really stressful environment when they can't do the basics? So that's sort of where I would lean towards technique-based there. But if they're at a competency level where they, they've got most of the techniques and you've only got them for an hour a week and they're at a base level, then, well, yeah, you might use it as part of your warm-up. Um, but then that's it and just sort of use that. Um, within that context and then get them into the opposed stuff straight away. I totally agree with that. I think everything is contextual. Um, personally, I really like unopposed practices. 
But there again, I get to work with players for um, four times a week for two hours. And then if I want to go and work on technique, I can go back out in the afternoon. Now, I also appreciate that uh, grassroots coaches might, if they have their group for an hour a week, why would you spend half an hour on unopposed technique? 100% get that. So I, there is a time and a place for everything. Um, there's not one size fits all. You can't just throw a blanket down and say we shouldn't use unopposed practices at all. That's wrong. And I don't think you should throw a blanket down and say we should only use unopposed practices. What does a player need? Where are they in their journey? What do they need to improve on? If I'm talking, let, let's, let's put a real-life scenario on it in terms of you, you've got a player at grassroots level that will just never use their left foot, never never use it. You know, They're really, really good on their right, really competent on their right, never use their left foot. So you can either force them to use it and stress them in a uh, in a, an environment that's, that's opposed, but they but they never but they had they've never used it before. So they've never used it before. So is it just going to get better by striking the ball four or five times in a possession practice, or is it going to get better by having a hundred goals at passing at it for an unopposed practice in five minutes? So everything is contextual. Now yeah. so you can then go and throw back at me a hundred <laughs> scenarios where. That's not the right answer, and I get that, but that's my point. You know, it is yeah. everything's and, contextual based on the individual and the, the needs of the individual and, and the surroundings. So, 100%. yeah, and I, think, I think that's the beauty of this conversation in that fact that there isn't a one size fits all approach. But I guess, you know, the real, the real thing I really want people to think about and listen to this right now is that how much thought are we putting into why we're doing what we're doing? Are the practices that we're setting up for us or for the players? Um, and I think that, and I think that's probably the key message to kind of really kind of land in what you've just said. But coming coming back to what you said about your own journey, and you know, you said that you moved, you know, you stepped into the badminton world, and you got a bit of you got a bit of a um, you know, positive uh, critique around. Actually, you could be a coach, Pete. Um, did your level one? Talk to us about that. What you know, obviously things have changed massively over the years in terms of coach education. Um, doing a level one back then is probably, I can imagine, it's probably very similar to the level one I, I did maybe about 10 or 12 years ago, whenever it was. Um, talk to us about that. What, what did you take away from that? And obviously taking that week off lectures, um, yeah. going through your level one, how, how did you find it? Yeah, I mean, uh, I enjoyed it mainly because at, at the time, I think I was 16 or 17 and it was a week of playing football. Let's, let's have it right. Because at the time I wasn't, um, it wasn't a serious, oh, I'm going to do this, this is going to be my career, this is going to be what I'm going to really try and do. So at the time, it was, wasn't particularly stressful. It was, it was an enjoyable experience. Um, what I sort of took away from it was um, just that, that need for session design. Um, and at the time, you sort of, because you haven't really got a bank of sessions, I've never really done it before. So um, just that kind of understanding um, of how to structure, scaffold, whatever you know, phrase people want to use, a session. I, f I found that really intriguing. And that, at that point, it's very much you know grassroots. This is real elementary stuff. Um, but I really enjoyed the, the session design. One thing that I, I kind of really liked was the the ability to communicate um, and use. And it's something that I still probably is my strength as a coach now. Um, is my the use of my voice in terms of to take a session up or take a session down, um, and that's something that I sort of picked up from that level one and really got to enhance um, just by practicing different designs. Really, um, so yeah, it's it's a long time ago. I can't say I remember loads of it, but that session design element was 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 important for me because I've never really done it before, um, apart from the odd time at college. 
obviously, you know, like I said, coach education has changed so much to the point where, you know, your level one now is just fully online. So you might not necessarily get that same exposure to that. But something really interesting you mentioned there, and it, it's something I've had a conversation with a lot of coaches, maybe newer uh, into their journeys um, quite recently, is the power of the voice and in terms of driving the intensity of the session. Because sometimes they say, oh, my session's too flat. Well, actually, what are you doing about it? It's not you can't just rely on the practice to bring out the intensity of the session. That's where the interaction of the coach and potentially the personality of the coach might might not um, align itself with someone who's a bit more directive and commanding and you know demanding that intensity from the players. But you know, t- talk to us about that a little bit because that, that's a really key bit for, I think for a lot of coaches. Yeah, I mean, well, if I sort of take it a little bit off topic and a little bit um, a, a different way of putting it, so for me, I mean, I'll come back to the the part of you know driving sessions for where it came for me and I always uh, well, if I have a scholar that comes up to me and says look I'm thinking of getting involved in coaching or anyone that says look I think I want to do it I always tell them don't start in an academy don't start going and observing the academy and they look at me like they've got two heads and they sort of say why would I not do that that's where I want to be but for me my voice yeah for me my voice um it started um going into primary school. So that's when um, I learned really how voice control can have a massive impact. So for me, um, my journey, I I found those uh, primary school PE lessons and primary school after school lessons, they were really impactful for me understanding voice control and what that can do to a group. So that's why I always advise um, young coaches, people that are interested, don't start in the academy level go into primary schools, go and turn up and go and uh, be let down by somebody that's got all the footballs. You've got an after-school club. Your, your co-coach hasn't turned up. You've got four footballs, one's flat. You've got three bibs and you've got 40 kids from reception all the way through to, to year six. Um, oh, and by the way, halfway through the session, it's going to smash down with rain. We've got to get everyone inside. That's how, for me, you learn to control a session, control people, control children, um, in, a, in a positive way, that is. Um, but then also, that's where I learned to use my voice. There was times when I really needed to raise it and I really needed to stamp authority within a classroom or a PPA or a school setting. Um, and then that is something that I've managed to transfer to my coaching. So that's sort of where it started for me and that um, control of sessions from my voice. And then I, I think one of the things that coaches, young coaches, have to then get, and I... I'm still guilty of this. Uh, I'm a driver of sessions and I know I am. So I also need to learn and, and need to remind myself at times to stop because there's times when it can just be me, just be my voice. And I need to learn to, to hold back and go, right, I need to stop and observe and really understand and, and watch the, 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 the detail that's going on within the session. Because if you're driving often, you can miss that. But then also what happens if you're not there do the players drive themselves? So that's the that's the bit that I'm still getting. I'm not, you know, there yet. I still drive too much at times. Um, but I think that's a great thing for coaches to to pick up on and have the ability to do it. But then also know when and where to not do it as well. Hundred percent. I think I think it's, an, it's a brilliant point that you've made there. But I'm, I'm conscious that you know there's going to be some people listening to this that might not fully be aware of what you mean by driving the session specifically. You might just elaborate on that from your perspective. Yeah, sure. So. Um, in layman's term, if if you're any any session, so you can put rugby possession. I could even say unopposed practices, but I won't <laughs> won't go there. I won't, I won't upset that part of the community again. Um, but yeah, any sort of session that 
maybe the tempo's flat with or without the ball. I think the coach has the power within their voice. If they start raising their voice and raising their demands and raising um, their output and their uh, animated we are, I think that will often, if you've got a group of players that, that do look up to you, that will raise the tempo. And the easiest thing to do, um, and it's, it's a real simple thing, and I think coaches um, that maybe haven't done it before and want to give this a try, what we'll really like is if you, so say you've got two teams playing a game, there would be a match or a possession, just pick a team and just really praise them. Just really praise them, really drive them. Because one of two things will happen. The other team will normally want some of that praise. So they'll start to work harder. So they'll start to start to start to run around. Now, obviously, you have to be careful with with what you praise. But then everyone likes getting praised, right? So if you start praising, oh, brilliant work, yeah, brilliant, getting up to the ball, oh, I love that. They'll want to do that because everyone wants praise. It's a human thing. So um, that's just a little technique to to maybe try for those that haven't. Build on that. Build on that. Then you know you're talking there about the praise, and I think you're spot on. Um, however, no, I, I've always looked at praise as being almost like a three layer process. Right, the first bit is actually saying the well done or whatever it is that you come out with. Um, but then it's added in the context, well done. You know, I love the way that you, you know, you pressed there or you, you know, you screened or whatever it was. Um, but then the third layer is right, well done. I love the way you did that because it allowed you to do this. Yeah. So, you know, how far how far with that do you go? And obviously, in terms of the the, the, the driving of the inten- the, the session itself, in terms of the intensity. You made a great point earlier about, right, are they still going to manage that intensity and still be able to upkeep that intensity when you're not around, which is a, which is a great point. I think there's a lot of coaches out there probably thinking, right, I'm doing such a great job um, in getting these players to work harder and whatever that looks like. But actually, you know, you've heard those situations where that coach isn't there on game day or whatever, and all of a sudden all that work that supposedly went, went on is now gone out the window. Yes, I think on the first point of the, the sort of three-step process, I mean, in terms of driving intensity, I think that's a very, it's a snap thing. It's very short and sharp. So uh, if I'm right, I may be wrong here, but I think you're talking about sort of layering praise based upon uh, an outcome or an attempt from from a player. Whereas I think sort of praising something to get a reaction is very instant. So in that scenario, I'm not looking for a, a three or four step or a, yeah, well, could you do this? And I'm not really focusing on, the detail I'm more focusing on just effort and application because that that's all I want at that point because it, it's flat um, either the the team out possession aren't um, working hard enough to, to mean the team in possession have any kind of challenge or the game's just flat uh, in possession out possession is flat so therefore I'm not actually worried about the detail of necessarily what I'm praising or your body shape was there so that allowed that to get and that all that information, that detail, that can come further down the line, I think. In the snap moment, I'm just praising what I want, which is effort and intensity, whether that's with or without the ball. So I'm just going to focus on that. And actually, if the player in question, I don't know, maybe show your body shape slightly wrong and it shows him inside when it should be showed outside. But the, if the outcome I wanted was that he gets there quicker and therefore the player in the possession has to make a decision quicker, whether that is run with the ball, dribble with the ball, pass the ball... Well, actually, I'm not going to go into that detail yet. I'm just going to praise the effort. And that, that's all I'm going to praise. So the whole three-step thing, I agree, um, if you're looking at the finer detail. But just to get a short-term uh, intensity impact, I'm, I'm not worried about that, to be honest. And then sort of the second part is um, of your question was around 
how do you manage that and how do you keep that when you're not there? Well, you have to step off it at some times and let the players understand and realise that the, the tempo and the intensity goes up when I do this, when I am not there or when I stop, when I go silent, what happens? And the only way you're going to do that is by showing them in training and, and in games. Don't solve the problem for the players all the time. It's too easy in the game to go, right, oh, they're, they're flat, so therefore I'm going to drive them and I'm going to help them get the result or I'm going to help them get back in the game because um, that's not the the end result. The, an under-12 team, if they're flat for one week and part of their learning process is you don't say anything and they learn that actually we have to drive ourselves because the coach is not going to drive us, that's a more impactful um, lesson and a real learning experience rather than turning the game around from being 3-0 down and winning 4-3 because the coach helped them. Then I think that's where the coach needs to sometimes take th their own ego away. And that's the most important thing. And sometimes the hardest thing to do, right? Because we all turn up on a Sunday morning and you don't want to turn up and watch your players perceivably go under and fold. But actually, that's when the real learning can be unpacked. And that's the skill of the coach to go. The Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So everything we decide to do or say has an impact, but then also everything we decide to ignore and leave has an impact as well. And I think understanding that, right, we're 3-0 down, I could help my team get back into this game by driving them. That's, that'll have a great impact. That will have a fantastic impact. But actually, if I don't help my team get back into the game and I have got the ability to unpack it with them next week and after the game, that might have a longer-lasting impact than winning the game for free. I think I think something really key in what you said there, you know, just to kind of elaborate it, is you can help your team in many different ways. But it's right: are you going for the short-term impact or the longer-term lasting impact? And I, I think that's the key key kind of thing that you just mentioned there. Um, it, it reminded me of a situation. Literally, I was just coaching a session uh, just recently. And the practice was, it was quite intense. I was having to drive it a little bit in terms of it, just how you've described um, to try and really, it, you know, with the group of players I'm working with in this context, I think they have been, they're not quite aware just how hard they can work. And I think sometimes that driving piece is really important in those initial stages when having a new group potentially that hasn't maybe played at a certain level um, because just by driving the intensity of the session, you can really help them understand. Actually, oh no, I didn't know I could work that hard. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I think that I think that's it. That's a really important part. Um, so the practice was set up where it was a lot of transitions, a lot of um, you know short, sharp kind of repetitions, if you like, within like a almost like a small-sided game. But the way it worked was one of the one of the teams was still playing, and I actually took them off when maybe the, the rules of the game that I stipulated shouldn't have and they said well why did you do that I said well recognizing that moment of the that that practice in particular if I kept you guys on this the session intensity would have dropped so I think it's recognizing also within that there might be certain changes and adaptations you need to make as the game's going on as your practice is going on that in order to maintain that intensity you might need to veer slightly away from the dynamics of what you set the practice up to be uh, yeah I think on, on on that thing of practice design as well so that, I mean there's a couple of for me, a couple of key points to it. One is, um, and it's, it's a phrase that Curvy used to use, and that was competition underpins participation. And if you want intensity and you want the players to get in, 
one thing I've learned is over the years, if you're going to have a trying to have a competitive environment, you better keep score. I know that sounds really stupid, but if as soon as players, oh, what is that? Is that six five or six four? Now I, I've got a really bad memory. My memory goes, and I'm I'm terrible. So I have to take a bit of paper out with me and a, and a pen. Um, and so if you want your players to be ultra competitive and work really hard and, and play with tempo and intensity, well then you need to keep scoring. It needs it needs to matter and have that competition element to it. Is my first point. Second point is on on session design and um, sort of practice design and stipulations and constraints within it. I would argue if you, when you plan your session and you sort of plan everything out and on a bit of paper, especially if you're trying something new, if at the start of the session and at the end of the session, the rules and the, the stipulations and the constraints of it like that look exactly how you thought they were going to look, I would say you probably haven't adjusted enough in the session because I just think that um, the best coaches and the most creative coaches see something or, and see a constraint that can be put in and just just, just go with it. And I think sometimes we, we plan sessions on bits of paper and they, they look great, but then the, the skill of the coach is to then adapt that and adjust that based upon what they've seen and their group and what they're trying to get out of it. So um, I'll often try and come up with a session design and think, right, yeah, do this. And then by the end of it, it looks something totally different because you've sort of gone, right, oh, actually, I can add that. Oh, good, I can add a pivot player in there. Or I can add an extra outpass in there. And I think I, I would sort of encourage coaches to go with it, go with the flow. Even if you've got on your, your tactics board this, this perfect session design on a bit of paper, just go with it. Just go with it. Let it let the let the pitch size be different. Let the, the outcomes be different. Let the constraints be different. And just just explore where it goes, I think. 100%. I think a large part of that is also getting the players to collaborate in that design and the unpacking of where it ends up as well, because they're going to recognise things that, you know, that you might not have considered as a coach. They're going to recognise things that where they feel like, OK, you know, it's not quite challenging enough. And I had a, I just had a situation last week where a group of players were, you know, they were basically we only had one goalkeeper in the session. So they, they initially were playing with a goalkeeper, um, but they were finding things a little bit too easy. So I said, all right. Look, we've got five minutes left. Is this really a challenge for you right now? And in the you know on one side of it, it, it on, on they're thinking, well, actually no, we're, we're doing really well. We're doing okay, but is this really a challenge for you now? And it's almost challenging them to have that accountability of right. This is your development. It's your journey. Do you want to cruise or do you want to be stretched? Um, so I think you know just having that conversation place sometimes and unpacking right where does this practice end up going for them because if they're not being challenged enough that competition piece just dies out very quickly um, in in the near in the near future of that. But coming back to you now, you know you obviously done your level one. You talked about you know some of the key learnings from that. You then gone you know I put it to Australia. Um, what does that look like? What was the coaching environment out like there? And how do you then compare that to what you're currently working in now? Yes, so I mean the Australia ju uh, journey was was an interesting one, and it, it was a really random one. So I didn't go out there to coach, and then um, funnily enough, I, I ended up coaching because I'd worked for Curva, so they they've just introduced or had at the time introduced their skills acquisition program, which is a program for their nines to uh, under twelves, I believe, at the time across the whole country, um, basically based off Curva, um, but just retitled it skills acquisition program and. And the fact that I had a curve of background, I randomly got speaking to some guy who worked at a second tier club um, 
he was from Nottingham. We got talking about football, coaching, um, and I sort of said, yeah, work for Curver. And he sort of said, well, the country's just about to roll out a, a programme based on the on Curver, which has helped um, being produced by the guys at, at Curver. So, um, yeah, started coaching um, within that. What And it's, um, it's interesting. I think they're doing some really good things over in Australia, and I think it will be um, a, a few years, and I, I think we'll see some really good young Australian players coming through because they, in the last 10 years, um, they have sort of focused on the technical side of it, um, the 1v1 domination, the ball mastery uh, and that side of it from from a younger age group and, and they are improving. They're probably a, a generation away out there because the young players I worked with, um, football not football is the, one of the, is the biggest sorry participation sport within um, juniors out in Australia, believe it or not, even though it's not the, the most mainstream sport out there, soccer to them. I mean, um, but I think the problem is those players, we found that they, they were football nuts. They, they loved it. They would go home and, and they, technically they're good, but they're obviously going home and what's on TV, it's AFL, it's rugby league, it's, it's all the other sports, it's cricket. So I think when this generation grow up and have children, I think that next generation, I think they'll be uh, potentially, you'll see a lot more Australian players coming through. Um, that's my theory on it anyway. But I think in terms of technical ability and, and the structure, it was uh, um, much better than I thought it was going to be because they, they've had this big shift to sort of professionalise it is not the right word in terms of dealing with children, but professionalise coaching, um, really structured, um, they had a national syllabus, so uh, as I say, nines to twelves. They had an SAP syllabus from thirteens to sixteens. Um, there was a national syllabus that everyone had to play a variation of four three three. Everyone had to work on certain blocks. Um, there was preferred practice ideas, and actually, the, they would come out and, and check and watch and make sure that if you play at a certain level, so their version of academy, should we say? Um, had to adhere to the national football curriculum, um, which was really interesting and in some ways can stifle coaches, don't get me wrong, because, you know, where's the creativity and freedom in that? But I think when you're starting from the base that they're starting at, which is, like I say, talk about a generational thing, a lot of these young players' coaches are parents who in sport isn't football. So actually, I think they have to start from a, a point of, this is what you're coaching, this is what you're teaching, this is the way the game is played. And then as that generation then comes through and they become coaches, I think that's when we'll see a bit more freedom. So, yeah, it was a really interesting time. I learned, I learned loads um, and got to work across a different, um, different uh, uh, age groups. Um, so sort of work from under 16s all the way down to sort of under nines. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And it was really enjoyable to be part of what was a brand new program and to be honest I'd like to go and see where they are with it now I'm not quite sure what's what's happened to it whether they're sort of on the next phase whether they've got better coaches now um, but at the time it was it, it was really intriguing because the the ball marshalling and the 1v1 domination was something totally brand new and, and really focused on in those age groups and then it was really interesting to see from 13s up it was all about the game it was all about the game um, it was all about possession-based practices, but everything had to be position-specific, which, to be honest, it sort of kindled something in my journey 
and something that I try to take through. So even if it's a possession practice now, sometimes there's, there's you know, working with the age groups I work with, you just need to do possession for the sake of possession. Um, and that's the reality of it to either hit physical outcomes or where you are in the day. But if I'm doing a pos possession practice now, I'll always try and have it directional, always try and put midfielders in central areas, uh, defenders in uh, a sort of a, a back area of it. Not saying they're restricted, but try and get some kind of positional context within it. And that comes from the Australian system of 13s to 16s. Everything must be position specific and um, game specific. So, yeah, lots to take, lots that I brought back from it and lots that still impact me today for sure. Sorry about that. Um, no, that's quite interesting to hear because obviously, you know, similar to yourself, you know, if I'm going to do a positional based practice or possession based practice, rather, sorry, it's very much positional. It's right. It's got to have the direction because you're right. You know, if they need to be almost as close to the game context as possible. And I think the direction piece has to be there. So, you know, I recently had a debate on Twitter um, around the use of rondos. And whether they should or shouldn't, it shouldn't exist within. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day to find out more. Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Upset more than half the community now, haven't we? But other Sorry, mate. Carry on. Yeah, no, well, listen, I think, I think, you know, I just, I just I think the question needs to be asked because I think there's a lot of people out there, you know, that will, yeah, that will do certain things, um, but maybe haven't not put enough consideration, again, like, like I mentioned, you know, as, as to why they're doing it. Well, if you're going to do a runner, why do you do it? Don't do a runner because you see Pep Guardiola do it. Don't, see, don't do a runner because you've seen Klopp do it. Do a runner because that's what your players need. Um, and, you know, for me personally, I can't fathom a single reason why anyone would need a runner, but <laughs> it is what it is. Um, but at the same time, if we're going to do a rondo type practice, at least you can do is put but the least you can do is put direction in it. Yeah, a bit yeah. directional because as soon as that directional piece is, is is taken out, all the decision making aspects are completely false to the game. Now that's not to say that everything you do should should be a game because then some people will turn around and say, well, why don't we just play games then? Well, in theory you could, but actually even just playing games and being able to coach within that context. I think it's quite it's, it's quite a high, highly um, highly challenging skill to to acquire to be able to actually just coach in game all the time. I think I think also I mean and, and this is the age of thing I always use the the phrase and, and talk about. Um, yeah, we, we could just play games 100. percent And the people that say if it's not a game, it's not realistic. I get that, but then also if we just coach games, the players never get goals or reps or 
whatever you want to call them, at something specific. So we can just play games and you know nothing will ever replicate a game. That's fine. But how does your right midfielder practice crossing if he gets two goes in it every game? Um, whereas actually, if you design a practice where he gets 60 goes at it and then goes into a game, I would argue that that's better development. But then as soon as you go away from the game, obviously you lose certain elements of realism and decision-making. So there is no right or wrong answer. Um, if you if it's not a game, there's an element that isn't realistic. I get that. But there again, if you just play a game, you don't get the goes and the reps right. So, um, yeah, there is there is no right or wrong. And goes back to my original point of, I do believe there's a time and a place for everything. So going back to the Rondos one, I'm going to sit on the fence and go time and place. <laughs> I hear you. I'm gonna say that. I'm gonna say that. In my opinion, that it's not. It's. I can't. You know. You can't say it's a wrong. You know. If we're being. If we're being uh, honest here, it's not a wrong. Um, the question I just ask coaches to consider more than anything is if I'm gonna do this, um, and I recognise that it's not the most efficient way of working. Why would I do it? Yeah. Well, I mean, um, everyone's sort of taken the. Um, I think it was the Guardiola, the the four v four plus three now, and that's probably if you can link it to the way you want to play. Um, that's probably the most realistic rondo because it's got transitions. It's got um, an element of we build one side. Uh, we recognise when the numbers are drawn over and sort of go out the other side. Um, that's probably the closest rondo-like drill that I think you could go pass off as a possession exercise, if that makes sense. Because um, you can put your, your plus three can be centre-back, centre-back and midfielder, so you can make it a bit position-specific. But I do think that's not a... Um, yeah, that's the closest bit that I think you can say, right, that, that's a rondo-type practice that is actually a possession. Um, but then for me, if you're working... For me, a rondo is essentially... Is, I'm going to upset a lot of people here, but um, it works as sort of part of the warm-up and as an introduction. Because that can be your technical practice in a rondo, because actually... You know, you do get different techniques and different practices over and over and over again without um, having loads of decision making and loads of different other techniques to come into it. So you never have long passing, you never have running, you never have this, you never have that. So actually, I think there is a time and a place for it at the start. I think I get frustrated when I see, uh, right, OK, this session's going to have technical practice, then we're going to go into possession, then we're going to go into game related. Be the possession can't be a rondo. That, that's not a possession exercise because it's not position specific, it's not um, game related um, and it's not getting the desired outcomes of what a possession is. Um, that's the bit. Well, I do think there is a time and a place for a rondo, but I sort of, I think I think I agree with you, I might be wrong, um, in terms of let's not call a rondo a possession practice as a, a big part of the session. Of course, and I, and I think you know. Just hearing you speak, I can just I can just visualize all the all the comments coming in already. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think I think we we're in some, we're in some agreement. But I think the key thing for me is right. Give it direction. Yeah. Give it yeah. direction. Whatever you're doing, give it direction because that 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 will immediately adds a different context to it. That's closer to what you expected to deal with in a game. Um. So nah. Let's let's park that debate. <laughs> <laughs> We've upset everyone this morning, didn't we? That's it. That's it. <laughs> But, you know, obviously, you, you know, you've gone to Australia, you know, you said one of the key things that you kind of brought back with you was that whole, that 1v1 domination piece, that that real focus around position specific and, um, you know, to some extent, maybe unit specific work around your practice design. You, co you come in uh, late in Orient now. How does that journey start? 
how does it evolve? Where do you, you know, and how did you end up at Barnet as academy manager? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack here um, in a very, very short period of time because it was a, a whirlwind journey um, with, with lots of positives and, and some, some downsides in there as well. Um, so my journey at Leighton Orient started, um, funnily enough, it was a good friend of mine who I've actually worked with. I still work with now at Cambridge. Um, I worked with at Barnet and at Leighton Orient, uh, Liam. Um, I met him in Australia and he sort of said, look, Leighton Orient are looking for coaches. Um, do you want to come down? Because he'd seen me coaching in Australia and I sort of said well yeah you know I'll, I'll come down and I sort of did a couple of trial sessions as it were with the what were going to be the new under nines um, current pre-academy going into that season um, and from there they sort of foundation phase lead said yeah you know we'd like to you know we'd like to have you next year we don't quite know where because um, so, we carried on coaching and, and basically when the groups sort of came back in for the first night it was you know, we're not quite sure where we're going to put you. We know we wanted to coach first, but we're not sure where. Probably going to be the under tens. Um, so, so that was fine. So I did a couple of sessions with the under tens, and then this was kind of the story of my late Orient journey, really. And then something happened within the football club, and, and some changes were made, and then the under thirteens became available. So um, I'd got in to do the under tens. Um, then the under thirteens came available, and they said, right, we want to do the thirteens. So we started off the season with the thirteens, and then that. Um, Around Christmas time, the 14s coach then then left, and they sort of said, right, well, we want you to go and do the 14s. So I sort of said, yeah, you know, absolutely uh, brilliant. I'll, I'll go and do that. Um, so so moved up to the under 14s, and then the next year, um, the the YDP lead left. So they sort of said, look, you know, would you want to take the, the YDP lead? Um, I said, yeah, brilliant. So, so I started doing that coaching the under-16s, YDP lead, and sort of being around um, the youth team. Um, it's a great learning experience for me. And then that um, that that sort of, again, Christmas time, around that time, the, the club was in dire straits, as it were, and lots of changes had happened. And I ended up, by Christmas, I was under-18s lead. And by then, I sort of was only about, you know, 20, 25, 26 really inexperienced, really new to the role. I've only been at the club 18 months and you sort of find yourself under 18's lead um, for the for the rest of the season. And it was a brilliant learning experience. It was way too early for me in my development, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, I'm, I'm certainly open enough to admit that. Um, but but an opportunity that I was never going to turn down for sure. And I think that's that's one of the parts of my journey. I've just said yes to everything and, and so sort of gave that a go. Um, then, yeah, and by the way, in that time, I learned off some unbelievable people. So I think that really shaped who I am today as a coach. So I got to learn off um, Andy Edwards, who works for the FA now, who's you know won World Cups and European Championships with the England youth teams. Um, I got to observe him and... and I wouldn't say mentored by him. That's that. That would be. Um, I don't think that would be accurate. But he's sort of become a friend, and we, we speak on the phone, and, and we meet up. And um, but I just learnt most from watching his youth team sessions, watching his youth team play. The the level of detail on the defensive side of the game is unbelievable. It was mind blowing at the time. Um, so took loads from him. Um, Richard Thomas at the time. Um, I'm lucky enough for me. He he's one of the best coaches I've ever seen work. Um, for me, he's light years ahead. Um, the things that people are now talking about as modern day trends, I was seeing being delivered um, eight, nine years ago uh, at Whitbread Sports Ground uh, with the late Orient under 18s. There's so many things are now going FA courses and they go, right, there's this modern trend of the centre midfielder coming out to a fullback slot. Watch this in the Euros and you go, yeah, 
Tomo was doing that eight years ago. So to to learn of him was amazing. Um, and I also learned, so he, he taught me a different way to look at the game. So he, you know, the phrase human game of chess and the tactical detail and um, just, just, just changed the way I looked at the game tactically and the 11 v 11 game just, it influenced me massively, and then the last real major influence that you know there was was um, a coach called Danny Webb, who's now assistant manager of Chesterfield, and um, has become one of my, one of my best mates really. But he was unbelievable at just me, you, bag of balls, and a mannequin, and that sort of unopposed practice, I guess. But the way he would work with players on a one-to-one basis and work out what they need, and just give them loads of goals, loads of reps, loads of care loads of energy and loads of time into a player um again it sort of sort of influenced me so in in that part of the journey i had some some great sort of experiences and great sort of learning um new owners came in the academy changed some some key personnel changed uh big culture shift within the academy that um that, that wasn't the best to be honest um i won't, won't go into too much but there was there was a big shift um I then became assistant under-18s coach to Danny Webb, who came back to the club. Um, again, that was a brilliant six months to go and learn off Danny. Um, Danny then moved to the first team when Justin Edinburgh um, came to the football club. Um, so then from there, I then stepped back up to the youth team, um, led the youth team for the rest of the season. And then the next season, I was under-18s lead um, in my own right, as it were. Um, but situations within the football club, um, meant that I was was ready for a new challenge. Um, I wasn't quite sure what that challenge was going to be. Um, I was sort of again open to whatever it, whatever it may be in my head. I, I wanted to go and either be a YDP lead at a, a more established club um, um, or an under 18s coach at another club. And then the opportunity to become academy manager at Barnet came up, and everyone warned me <laughs> everyone warned me that it was a difficult football club with difficult people to work with um but in the end I, it was an opportunity i couldn't turn down i was 28 years old the opportunity to be an academy manager at the P club was was one i couldn't couldn't turn down and and actually the the thing that spurred me on was was everybody said you know you're going to work with a really difficult owner and a really difficult place to work and in a way that encouraged me more to take the job because I just thought, why not go and test yourself against in one of the toughest environments? By all accounts, one of the scariest and most difficult owners to, to, to work for. And I just thought, well, 28 years old, why not experience that now? Why wait? Why wait and go and learn from it and, and know that I'm going to make loads of mistakes, but you know, I've got time to recover from it and really learn from it. So that was part of the reason for... Um, for taking it but yeah late Norwich was a brilliant journey for me it's a fantastic football club and one that I sort of look at and I started off as under 10s coaching uh, went all the way through to, to under 18s coaching in the space of 18 months really but um yeah it was it was a brilliant part of of my journey for sure I, I think it's a it's a really great story as well I think the key thing is to kind of really think about this you know there's, there's a lot of people thinking that oh you know if I come in as an under 10s coach it's going to take me so but so long to get to the PDP if that's what they want to even do but anything can happen you know being in the right yeah. place at the right time is the key thing and i think one of the key things that you know really to take out what you've said there as well is i think is richard branson um came with a quote you know uh don't wait to get ready before you take the opportunity yeah. <laughs> take the opportunity yeah. and get ready while you're while you're in it if, if, if needs be because if that opportunity comes you don't know when it's going to come again 
Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, if, if I'm being honest, yes, I'll always remember we played. So my first game was with the under-10s and um, we played, I think it was Cheltenham. Um, we played at Cheltenham and uh, my first academy game, never really seen an academy game before. And honestly, I w- it was way too quick for me. It was way too quick for me. I couldn't work out what was going on. Could barely work out their system. Couldn't work out our system. Couldn't. And this is under-10s game. And it was on the Astro. Balls were coming on left, right and centre. I'll be honest, I was well and truly out of my depth. And I did sort of go away thinking, is this too much for me? But you just, like you say, you just take it on. And I I always use um, levels for me or age groups. It's just about speed. It's about the speed of it. So so that under-10s experience, that was way too quick for me. But do you know what? Did a couple of under-10s games. It started to slow down. When they said, Pete, go and do the under-13s, my first game... Guess what? I went, oh my God, what is this? This is way too quick for me. I can't impact the game because it's too quick for me. But then give it a couple of weeks, you start to get it starts to slow down. Again, 14s, what happens? Oh, it's too quick again. It's too quick. And it, you just have to put yourself in those situations and, and eventually it slows down. And what I sort of like now is um, I can now go and watch a under 13s game, under 14s game, and it now feels walking football pace <laughs> but that's because I'm used to um, under 18s football under 21s football senior football being around the first team uh, being on the bench in league one games all of a sudden that's quick but then guess what if I ever get the opportunity to go and uh, experience working in a championship first team I'm going to go whoa this is, this is super quick and in the Premier League it's super quick again and, and you just get used to it so it's a big part of my journey like I said that, that Richard Banston quote is, is just say yes to everything don't worry if you're, if you're ready or not. You'll, you'll learn on the job, but just say yes. And even if sometimes that doesn't even mean being ready for something, that can mean stepping down. Pete, can you go and take the under-10s? I'll go and take the under-10s tomorrow. I don't, it doesn't bother me because they'll be learning from it and I'll enjoy it. But just say yes to everything. But that thing of being ready, you never know if you're ready, do you? And you never truly are because the, the nature of football and coaching and things will always throw up that you've never had before. You're always going to come across a new experience and, and that's how you build the experiences, I believe, by just jumping in two feet first. Whatever happens, happens. I'm going to take it and I'm just trying to learn from it. And I think it's that reflective piece. Is key. Just, just building on that, then, you know, just unpack it further. You mentioned so many different experiences in that short space of time and the fact that you've constantly had to go to game. The game looks different. It's getting quicker. You know, you've had to adapt and flex flex within that. Having looked back at your journey now, what would you say is one of the biggest lessons you've taken away? Oh, that's, a, that's a real, real interesting and, and deep question and one to throw at me on the spot. Um, I think that, I mean, that, that there's lots of real key things. One, one would be that, um, just say yes. Um, I think that, that that's really important because the, the challenge is, so when I started my journey, I you know, quite like a lot of people, I was like, yeah, I want to be a first team manager and, and I want to get there. And I had a plan to get there. And that involved being under 18s coach, under 21s coach, first team coach, assistant manager, and then the manager. And that's the journey I wanted to be. Well, academy manager was never part of that. Um, under 18s coach at that point was never part of that plan. Head of coaching was never part of that journey. Managing a step four football club like I do was never part of that journey. So, um, yeah, that just say yes is really important. Just on that though, I think one of the key things that yeah, I think needs to be highlighted as well is that right at the top of the conversation, you know, you quite rightly said a lot of us get into this industry and into the coaching space specifically 
because we have a passion for the game and maybe we, we didn't really have, have, the, have the ability as a player. Um, but a lot of people go into coaching because of that. But actually what you've just said there really just highlights the actual, uh, the outlook of what, what's available out there. Just because just just you haven't made it as a player doesn't mean you have to go into coaching specifically. It might not be coaching that you're, that, that, that that's your thing actually. But if you've got passion for the game, there's so many different roles within the within the game especially when you're looking at academies and professional football clubs you know whether that be you know the 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 real the real rise and resurgence of um player care as an example yeah. more recently or individual development coaches and you know there's so many different roles that you can kind of um you know fall into that you know don't just say just don't just assume yeah i'm going to go into coaching and that's what yeah. it's going to be for me we've, we've we've got a sports scientist at, um at cambridge united who who's an ex-scholar um and i'll be honest I, I it's not my area of expertise so i've got no idea um if he's very good at um the, the real technical side of it but i'm i'm telling you this this lad will will work at a very very top football club um whether he wants to work in the academy or the first team he will work there because his energy and his enthusiasm and ultimately his love for the game means he, his attention to detail is 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 really good and that's a perfect example of what you're saying in terms of he just loves the game of football, didn't quite make it as a professional. Um, coaching isn't his passion, but actually he's found sports science is a bit of a passion with football. And he, because he loves it, he will he will work at the top level. He will work for a, a top football club, whether he wants to make a step into a first team or stay in the academy football. Because of, as you just said there, underpinning everything is his passion for football. And I think, like what you said, there's so many different um, avenues of player care. There's administration, um, there's sort of finances. If you now look at the role of an academy manager, it's no longer um, the best coaches become the academy manager. The, the academy is a business in itself. So actually, if you've got someone that's really interested in business and finance and long-term vision and strategy and management of people, and you've got the passion for the game, they're more likely to be an academy manager nowadays than someone that's had 15 years experience on the grass because an academy manager's job now isn't really to coach. Quite cooperation, wasn't it? Yeah. 100%. Uh, yeah, so just to build on that then, you talk about a young lad there uh, being an ex-scholar. I, I don't even coach him, what, 15 years now, Pete? Yeah. Uh, well, ooh, that's, what am I now? Yeah, probably I've been in the professional game for the last eight years, so coaching for about 12 years, yeah. yeah. About 12 years of experience working as a coach. There was one bit of information you could go back and give yourself when you started that journey maybe even you know when you're sitting there doing that badminton uh, session yeah. what, what would that be one thing that you think that actually this would have changed the trajectory of my career and made me maybe accelerate my development a lot quicker yeah i think um yes it's a bit of a long-winded one but i would say uh people first is, is the most important thing and within that i mean put the player at the center of everything and it, it's certainly, it's not about us. It's not about, I see too many young coaches that it's about them. And listen, I'll hold my hands up. When I was a young coach, that was me. That was me. I wanted to speak on my tactics board, show everyone that I knew um, how a 4-4-2 can morph into a 3-5-2 and stuff like that. And it was all about, and I'll be honest, I look back and I cringe and I look back at some of the coaching points and, it's not about you. It's about the players um, and having that sort of those relationships as well. 
people first. I think within that, there's loads to unpack within that. But as, as a coach, drop the ego. Even in what you said there, I think kind of the thing that's jumps out at me is sometimes less is more. Hundred percent. You know, being clear, not 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 over not over speaking, not over not overstepping the mark, and not trying to over coach in that respect. It's recognizing right who's in front of me, what's their needs, right? Am I filling the need? Yeah. Ted, Ted Dow said something really interesting on an A license once, and he said, uh, "If you can't put it in a tweet, you don't know enough about it." I thought it's really powerful because mm. so many times, and this, I'm not an expert. I still do it now. I'm, by no means am I the finished article as a coach. I'm, I'm nowhere near it. But I look back certainly at the start of my journey. So many times I must have bored players and people. Yeah, I just really bored them because I would have been explaining things on a tactics board for like 10 minutes. And, and that probably shows that actually I don't really understand it. If I can't clearly and concisely go, this means this. And if that happens, that happens, that happens, that happens. And this is why we want to do it. And the, if I can't do that, I don't know enough about it. And if you don't know enough about it, don't start implanting that on other people. Um, so I think that that's sort of really powerful just to be, it's not about you. This, yeah. it's, it's not about you showing what you know. What do the players need to know? If they don't need to know all that waffle, don't worry about it. Yes, you can, and I think there's something young coaches want to do. They want to show everyone what they know. 100%. I think one really key thing that comes out of why you're saying that is what is almost... Even if you do recognise this is something that they need, if you don't know enough about it, you're probably best off saying nothing. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Or, um, you know, if you, if you want to go further deep, further deeper and stuff like that, just put something on where the constraints lead it. So, so if you want your, let's talk layman's terms, if you really, really want your, your, your team to, to high press, but actually I don't know how to set up a high press or... Um, really do the finer details instead of just waffling on for 15 minutes and showing everyone that you know when actually you don't because you don't know that you go here, you go here, you go, you show here, you don't know the details. Just put a constraints based lead on. You win the ball in this area, higher up the pitch, that's three goals. You win the ball lower down and let the players work it out. So I think talk less, um, put the players at the forefront of everything. Your job isn't to show everyone what you know. And listen, I've done it hundreds of times. Academy manager would walk over, stop, stand still. Yeah, you go here, you go there. And I'm not coaching the players. I'll be honest, this is a young, impressionable coach and I'm just being really open and honest. I'm showing everyone what I know. And I look back and I go, oh, Pete, did you really do that? That's cringy. So that's what I would sort of say. My advice to young coaches coming through, it ain't about you. Um, if you don't know, if you can't put it in the tweet, don't bother. Just put a constraints-based coaching session on and just drop the ego. It ain't about you. It really isn't. It's about the players. I mean, I was having a conversation with a coach recently just, you know, about some of the inter interventions that he had in his session. And one of the key things, he said something, and it's not that I disagreed with him, but I was curious as to know, well, do you know enough about it? So I was just going to, why would you, why would you coach that? He goes, and it, his response was, I don't know, I've just heard other coaches um, say it. Um, but it's, it, it makes sense. I said, okay, that's fine. I get that. Yeah. However, you, you know, if you don't know it, and even if it makes sense, you need to make sure that you understand it perfectly. Because yeah. if you just did that with every bit of information that you thought made sense or you thought sounded good, 
could be quite a dangerous recipe for, for some of your players. 100%. I mean, it's so much to unpack with, isn't it? I mean, how many times you see uh, a little snippet go on YouTube um, of, of a drill or a practice, and then all of a sudden you, you walk on the Astro and like three, three of the groups are doing what Guardiola's done, and you go, well, that's, that's relevant to Guardiola's players, not yours. How many times you go on a course and there's all these clubs sort of in the room and so we'll come, right, oh, oh, we're going to get our teams to play like that. Well, hang on, their teams have got these players. You know, I can't really understand it when people go, right, yeah, I want to I want to go and play like um, Klopp's Liverpool. Well, that's fantastic, but you need to go out and sign um, Trent Alexander. <laughs> you, you know, you need to go and find these players. Uh, you know, only for me, only the top clubs can sort of go, this is the way we want to play because, and I'm talking academy level here as well, um, this is the way we want to play because we'll now go and recruit based upon that style. So if you are one of the top academy, if you're Tottenham, if you're Arsenal, if you're Man City or you know, whatever, insert club here, you can say, this is our system, this is our style, this is the way we want to play because guess what, we're going to get the best players, certainly in the, in the local area, if not the country, if not the world, at that age group, whether that be senior or younger, to do it. So now, if you're coach of, when I was the under-13s coach at Leighton Orient, well, I've got to work on the players that I've got. So by me watching Guardiola play a certain way, or Klopp play a certain way, and me going, right, we're all going to play like Guardiola, we go, well, no, I haven't got Kim De Bruyne, I haven't got these players. So I have to look at the group that's in front of me. And that's where it's, it's not about the coach. It really isn't about the coach. Look at the group in front of you. What do they need? What are their strengths? What are their... When do you need to give them time to do what they're good at? You know, there are times to go, yeah, right, they, they need to work on their super strengths. They need to work on their areas for development. But don't just sort of go, well, we're going to play like somebody else because they've built a team around that, unless you're the, the elite level, I think. I think you're spot on. I think you're spot on. Pete, it's been it's been really insightful having this conversation. There's so many different things that have come out of it, and I think hopefully a lot of questions for, the, for anyone listening to this to think about as well. Um, you know, let's come back to you know you 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 know you've done had you've had quite an intense experience over the last eight years in particular. Uh, never mind the four years before that, moving countries and whatnot. What's next for Pete? Girl? Yeah, uh, good good question. Um. For the, for the first time in, well, let's say, I sort of had um, three, and a, three and a half years at Leighton Orient where it started. The first year and a half was, um, uh, sorry, two years. It was a really good experience and, and I felt really at home and really comfortable. And then since then, since joining Cambridge United, I've sort of um, been at really difficult clubs and really difficult environments. You've always sort of had an eye on what is next for me. Um, Working for Cambridge United, I've got to be honest, is the first time, and I'm not just saying this, is the first time where I'm really happy in my professional job. I've, I work for a, a brilliant football club in a brilliant culture and a brilliant environment for and with brilliant people. The role I currently do is I'm in the perfect place for me and my development um, in terms of I, I get to go out on the grass most days and, and support and work with um, the first team. I've got a great first team manager in Mark Bonner and, and assistant Gary Waddock and coaching Barry Corder. I get to learn off every single day. So every day is a CPD day for me in my job. It's brilliant. Um, I get to learn off three fantastic um, people, number one, but, but um, brains in the game as well. Um, within my role, is uh, get my youth development hat on and working with the young pros and trying to get them closer to the first team. Um, and then I also get my little three points kick in terms of 
the non-league side where we try and put players into where you're fighting for three points. So uh, short term, I'm incredibly happy um, where I am and using um, this as an opportunity just to, to really learn, learn off the experience around me. Um, so in no rush to, to move anywhere. Um, I would like to at some point in my um, in my journey sort of make that step into the first team game. Um, I know the <laughs> the dangers and the perils that that come with that, um, but I think that's it's more for me when when I was on the EM course and it was an amazing course to be on and you sort of talk about your own journey and, and where you want to get to. Um, for me, I just want to collect experiences and where I end up is where I end up. So that's why I'd like to collect that experience of that fighting for three points every week at a football league level um, as part of a first-team coaching staff and dealing with those pressures and dealing with those stresses. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's what my end of my journey must look like. Um, so I want to keep gathering as many experiences as I can wherever the journey takes me. Um, I'm more than, more than comfortable with as, as long as I am lucky enough to call football my job for as long as possible. I, I'm I'm really sort of comfortable with that, um, yeah. So give, giving it giving it a go as a career, and if I can call football uh, work for for the rest of my career and my working days, I'll, I'll be a happy man. And going back to my point earlier of just say yes. I think if if an opportunity comes up and it sounds exciting and it sounds a bit of a project, just say yes. I think so. Um, that that could mean that I work in a first team. It could mean that I go and work with an under nine somewhere. Um, if the opportunity is right and the experience is right, and I'm going to learn from it and I'm going to gain from it, I'll, I'll probably just say yes. But short term, I'm, I'm incredibly comfortable and happy where I am because I'm learning so much. Awesome, awesome. You know, you, the key thing that you said obviously within that is that every day is a CPD day, and I know you, you know, you you kind of really reinforce that message of just say yes, but. If there was any coaches listening to now, or any coaches that are listening to this now, rather, what would be your one golden nugget for them to think about, whether regardless of what stage of their journey? Yeah, I think um, you've used the phrase that I use, which is a bit annoying because I was going to use that. <laughs> but I always use take a golden nugget. So my advice would be um, take a golden nugget from everything. So whether that be... Um, I, I hate it personally when I think the coaching community at times can be quite nasty, if I'm being perfectly honest. There's times when, oh, have you seen so-and-so at Club X? Oh, he don't know what he's doing. He's rubbish. Oh, yeah, I watched him the other day. I'm not having him. And you just think, okay, well, why are you not having them? What, what is the one bit? Don't just look at a session. I, I, I'll be honest, I feel really sorry for FA tutors at times because they turn up, they stand there, and they get absolutely battered. Um, well, I wouldn't do it that way. Well, my, my advice to everyone would be um, take a golden nugget from everyone. So take what, what you would do. And if you're sort of saying, you know, I didn't like it, then what was the one thing, what's the one thing that you would still take from it? But also, what's the golden nugget, the, the, the most important thing that you say, I didn't like it because of this. And then how do you influence that into your coaching and your, whether it be session design, personality, character the way you portray it don't just say something's excellent don't just say something's rubbish go and take a golden nugget from it when that can be positive or negative so yeah it's, it's too easy i think to sort of go that, that that wasn't very good why 
why, what you're going to take from that. So I think every experience, whether that be listening to a seminar, whether that be watching another coach, uh, uh, whether that be watching a team play, you might sit there and watch um, Man United play on, on TV and sort of go, Quah, you know, they got walloped by Man City the other day. Well, it's all well and good saying they were rubbish, but what did, try and work out what they tried to do. What did they struggle with? What was the one thing that they struggled with? And then the one thing that they tried to do that you quite liked, and take that. If you take that from every every experience you go with, um, you, you, you'll be a better person and a better coach for every experience. Love that. I love that, Pete. Right, Pete. I'm conscious of time. A lot. There's a lot of insight in there, and I think there's a lot, of, a lot for everyone who's listening just right now to think about. So, just to build on that, if there's anyone that wanted to get in touch with you, find out a little bit more about you and some of the things that we've discussed in today's episode, is there somewhere they could do that? Yeah, I mean, well, uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm not a very um, big, big, big tweeter, to be honest. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm more than happy for anyone to sort of contact me and I'm happy to sort of share my journey. They, they can drop me an email. Um, maybe I'll sort of share my email with you and I'm sort of happy for you to put that on the um, below. And if, if, if there's anything that I can ever help with, with any coaches, I'm, I'm by the way, I'm by no means an expert. I'm, I'm not at the... Uh, this, I've heard some of your guests um, speak, and I think, oh yeah, they're, they're at the top of their field. So I'm not one of those. So, but um, if there's anything that I can ever help with anyone, or share any experiences, or share any knowledge, share any part of the journey, I'm more than happy to drop me an email. Um, I'm more than happy for people to sort of get in contact. But yeah, maybe go and speak to some of your other guests for that. But <laughs> no, I'm, I'm always open to, to having a conversation with people because that's how you learn, right? One hundred percent. I think there's something really key in what you said there, and I think you know, <clears throat> it's really. I understand we're all on our own journeys. We've all been through different experiences. We've all, we've all been through different um, challenges. We've had different successes. I think something that's really key from what you said there is that is take that golden nugget, which means every single one of us, whether it's yourself, whether it's me, whether it's the people that are listening to this right now, we've all got something to to add value with. You know. It's constantly about reflecting, like, what have I been able to achieve? How am I able to impact? And how am I able to add value to the environments I'm going into? So um, I, I'm in no doubt that there's going to be a lot of value added from what you've just shared with me in the past hour and 20 minutes. And I think that, 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 should, that should not be understated. Yeah. I, think, I think on that, just quickly, one last bit, you used the word value. And I think, I mean, I know we're sort of going to wrap up here, so I won't go into it too long, but I would encourage every coach to have their own values. And... Um, what is it you you stand for? What is it you believe in? And let them drive everything you do. So for me, so we won't go into it now because I know we're about to wrap up, but um, I, I really value empathy. Now, that will drive everything I do. So that doesn't make me weak or soft. But what that does mean is I'll put myself into the, the shoes of the person I'm coaching or put myself into the shoes of um, a staff member I'm working with. And that will shape everything for me so i know you use value in a different context there but that would be my my piece as well and that that word you know triggers a lot in me so have a set of values that you believe in really think about them really let them shape over time and let them influence you and your journey because that, that's who you are right that's who you are as a person and that's how you put your stamp on how you coach so sorry i know that was a massive tangent no, 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 and a massive no, no. side side bit there but i think i think it's really important have a set of values and and let them guide you in everything you do. 100%. I think you're spot on. I think, you know, if, whether, 
whether or not it was at the first the first first thing you said or the last thing you said, I think the key thing is that actually recognizing that we're all again, we're all different. You're dealing with people at the end of the day. I, I, how much attention are you paying to what they're going through, what they've been through, how what the context they're currently in or the situation they're currently in is, is impacting them as an individual and not just what your assumption of that might be in terms of how you might have dealt with it or how you may have dealt with it if you've been through something similar. So I think that empathy piece is key and you know the best the best way to kind of um but, you know, you talk there about putting yourself in their shoes. And I think the thing that's always landed for me around empathy is, right, whatever you're going to go through, I'm going to, I'm going to feel, I'm going to feel that with you. I'm going to yeah. feel that with you. And I think that's, I think that's a really key piece. But no, I think, again, some great stuff has come out of it. Honestly, I think there's going to be, some, there's going to be some uh, people whose minds are going to be ticking off for this one. So now I really appreciate it. Good. Now, I really appreciate you having me on. I mean, when, when you sort of asked me to come on, I was, uh, I was really flattered and uh, I see some of your other guests and sort of thing. I definitely don't deserve to be uh, on, the, on the list of some of them. But no, it was a real honour for you to, to to ask me on, mate. So I really appreciate it and keep up the good work. Uh, thank you very much. But I just wanted to say a final piece on that, actually. And I don't think it matters what our experiences are because we've all got something to add value with. I think I don't think it matters where we're at in our journeys because we've all got things that we've learned and things. And sometimes it's not always looking at for the people that have not to say this is you, by the way, but it's not always looking at the people who have gone on and done something amazing. Yeah, yeah. But actually, the people are still on their way, and maybe even some people that haven't actually made it. Yeah. Because yeah. there's lessons in everyone's journey. So uh, I, think, I, yeah. think I think that's a really key piece, and that's part of the reason why you know this platform in particular. It's not right. It's not about just getting people that are at the you know the top of the industry specifically. It's actually people that are going through different aspects of the journey, and you know, regardless of where they're at on that journey, you know, trying to take away the key insights and key learnings. So now, I really appreciate your time, Pete. Um, and I hope I hope I hope you all the successes and wish you all the successes in your role currently. And hopefully, you know, maybe this time next year we're having another conversation. We're in a first team role. I love it. You're you're an absolute star. Now I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, mate. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of you can tag us in those mentions as well on instagram at the coaches network or on twitter at the coaches net we look forward to hearing from you let us know what you thought about today's episode and until next time guys take care for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.